Hi guys and welcome to the Incredible Hulk podcast and um, this time we are discussing a story from season one called The Beast Within um, which was um, written by Karen Harris and Jill Sherman who were regulars on the show throughout the, the run more or less. Um, incidentally I was very lucky to get an interview with Karen Harris and um, you'll be able to hear that at the end of this podcast so please stick around for that one. I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick, out, a kick out of that. So, yeah, that, that's cool. Uh, um, and it was directed by Kenneth Gilbert. Um, I don't think he did many Hulks, that guy. I don't see his name popping up too much. But um, it starred, of course, Bill Bixby as Dr. David Banner, Lou Ferrigno as The Incredible Hulk, and Jack Colvin as Jack McGee, co-starring um, Caroline McWilliams as Dr. Claudia Baxter, Richard Kelton as Carl, and Dabs Greer as Dr. Malone. And incidentally, um, I think it may have been one of the last roles he did, but I remember, I don't know if you guys remember Dabs Greer um, as playing the older Tom Hanks in The Green Mile. Yep. And that was Dabs Greer, that was just really cool. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that one in there. In, well done, more jangles. Yeah. yeah, it was very, very good, yeah, yeah. And a special appearance in this from the... Uh, uncredited on screen, I think, but um, I, I did find out he's and he, he, that it was him. George Barrows as Elliot the Gorilla. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, some of the camera angles in this, my God, that gorilla suit was very transparent. Uh, yeah. It was a bit, it was quite, but it was a bulky old suit as well. It looked kind yeah. of, he looked very, I don't think the guy was big, but he looked very, he looked kind of plump in that, yeah. Um, so, Guys, yes, welcome, welcome to the show, and welcome to my guests who are going to help me, my friends here. Please welcome uh, Graham. How are you there? And then Frank, good to be back, mate. Oh, the pleasure whenever I can find the time. And um, also, please welcome Sue and Alex. How are you both? Brar, good. There we go. Fine. You're in form. You're in form again. You're on form, brother. Yeah. So the beast within, yes, the early early one in the in the run in season one. I mean, episode um, two, episode two. Although you could count it as episode four if you count the two pilots. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. So because I think there was it's always been a bit weird that one because they they were kind of like came out several months between one another. But um, some people still count them as part of season one, I guess. Well, but, that's true. But then again, some people count them as the two movies prior to the series. That's and what, yeah. After that's, the that's what I mean. It's a kind of a weird one, that, yeah. Um, anyway, we, we, we find David uh, working at the zoo. Yeah. This one. Yeah. Talk us through whoever wants to take this up about this, the, the sort of setup of this, this story and, you know, how it all begins and stuff. Well, um, I'll put my top onto our fan to begin with here. Uh, it's feeding time at the zoo and the camu and the companions go in two by two. Um, basically, he's now a, I guess a janitor or a, a groundskeeper at the zoo, if you, if you call it. Um, all I needed the fact that he wants to get to know, you know, uh, the good doctor who's resident at the zoo during her experiments with, shall we say, Anger management. And thanks for the kettle chips. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah um, an interesting theory. This is really early on in the run. And he stumbled upon a doctor 
who is studying the same things that he did before his alleged death, and she's basing a lot of her thesis on her his earlier works. So that's basically your setup, folks. Take it and run. Very good. And yes, he's, he, he had the, there was a he met, there was a really guy there, a, a guy one of the older guys at work. Um, he was showing, so he only lived and more or less arrived there, didn't he? Because he was just showing them the ropes. Yeah, but it's first day, yeah. First, actually, the first time, yeah. Sometimes he's there for some stories, several weeks or days, you know. Mm. But he's literally very, very new at that. And I think technically this whole story takes place over the space of two days tops. Two days tops, I'd say, yeah, yeah. There's one night. Yeah, it was his first day of work. First day at work, yeah, yeah. So this, this nice man is showing around, showing the ropes. And he says to him, would you yeah, like to clean the weather cage? Yeah, yeah. Do you like to clean out the reptile house? He said, no, I think I'll give that a miss, mate. There you go. Um, yeah. You know, I'd rather go and see this, that, the lovely doctor in the uh, mm. in the gorilla sanctuary, or, or the ape, you know, the chimp. Chimp, chimp sanctuary, yep. Yeah. Little knowing that, you know, there's more than the chimp in there. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, there's a great big hairy gorilla in there. Indeed. Uh, I mean, uh, no. Um, they obviously didn't take, have the budget to even, you know, even stretch the planet of the eight portions. No, and unfortunately, we didn't get uh, Jessica Lang's interpretation of, uh, you know, King Kong at this point either. Uh, we got, oh my gosh. you know, <laughs> we got. Uh, we got <laughs> well, it's about, around about the same same year, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. 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 Seventy-eight, seventy-nine, wasn't it? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Go well, ahead. I mean, obviously, you know, they they weren't going to have a full-on, you know, battle with a gorilla. Although no. I did yeah. find it very amusing that not only was the female doctor uh, the role that she's playing, the actress was on soap, the the TV show making fun of soap operas. Yeah. But she actually was in a real soap opera on television before that. And then the funny thing is, David Banner sort of does this Obi-Wan Star Wars thing, you know. Well, you know, he can't admit that he knows who David Banner is. Oh, have you seen David Banner's work? Yeah. And then hands him a folder and, um, oh, yes. And, and Alex oh, yeah. He goes, oh, yeah. He's, I, I hear he's chimes in. Um, it's been years since I've been known by that name. Yeah, so... Uh, or he can't do the Ben Kenobi uh, return of the Jedi thing. You know, well, it is, I was telling you the truth from a certain point of view. Wow. You know, so. <laughs> I think in a roundabout way. You know, yeah. yeah. But uh, what I do find it interesting is you've got this whole subplot where David's trying to prize information uh, out of the good doctor. Uh, we are animal friends and thoughts with Dr. Doolittle, but um, yeah, uh, interesting A plot. Uh, meanwhile, on the B plot, animals are mysteriously dying, uh, and there's uh, potential hearings afoot by the board of directors at the zoo. Yeah, don't this suggest to because obviously he starts getting interested when she's talking about you know, the term to ag aggression. Therapy or aggression, anti-aggression. Right, animals. Yep. This is what's got you know. He's now keen to know whether he can actually try this on himself. Mm -hmm. um, and he says he suggests to her. And bear in mind, he's have to, he has to pretend he's not Banner, you know. But yep. he's, he, he's a, he does. Seem, yeah, yeah, he does seem to know an awful lot about what he's talking about for a janitor, you know. And it's, it keeps raising alarm bells because he says suggests trying radiation with the AD 
that's it, the ADG drug, I think it's the called. The ADG drug, yeah. Yeah. Um, was it 2004 she had? Was it 2004? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this stuff, and uh, uh, which is what he's been, she's been trying on Elliot and some of the other animals as well. Mm. Uh, uh, and it's been fairly successful. Yeah. Uh, so you, you had that scene with the, the sternograph and where they were showing Elliot the various pictures, and his, his mid-set was quite steady. Yeah, when when he was looking at his um his own kind, mm. he, he was calm. And then when he saw like a tiger or something, he just might have just growled slightly. Mm. But he was he was in control. Whereas normally he would probably go ballistic when he saw it, because he would see that as a threat, you know. And uh, um, they meet Doctor Malone, Dabs Greer. Yes, yeah, Malone. And several, as you said, Graham, several animals have died recently there. Yeah, rather mysteriously, and. And an inquest is going on at the moment. They, and then later, David sees Carl holding the chimp. And Carl, and Carl says, it, he says, he's adamant it's dead. But David says, no, I think it's just in a comatose state. And they don't like the fact that he's been a bit too poke nosy, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Malone sort of warns him off and says, may I remind you of your duties, you know? So there's sort of, already there's, there's a little bit iffy going on there. David's... David's old radar is up, you know. You fellow on campus, we know like it. Yeah. Um, and later, um, um, Elliot is being tranquilized. Yep. You know, with that stuff. And that's, when you, that. about, yeah. Matt, that's when you mentioned about him being hooked up to the graph, watching all the animals, you know. Yes. And that's all good. And he's he, he showing good signs there in that. Um, David tells Claudia about the little chimp and um, he believes it's not dead. And um, the car, uh, the, the, I think um, Malone and that are obviously getting a bit suspicious of David. Yep. He's getting to know a bit too much. And Carl says, don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of him. Ha, 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 ha. That's a joke of the century. Indeed, yeah. So that never works out, yeah. And um, David reads the paper. This is where it comes into, like, where the, you know, some sort of idea of what, what might be happening with all these animals and that. He's the reading, smuggling ring. Yeah. He's reading the paper there and it says South African jewel theft. Yep. And um, it, more revelations come out, you know, about that later on. Um, and, he, and, he and he finds out that all the animals that were um, in the zoo from South Africa are, were just recently brought there and they're all the ones that are sick and dying. Hmm. Yes, that's right. Uh, and um, anyway, um, Carl, 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 meanwhile, um, ent enters Elliot's cage when, cause when, when he's passive, you know, with that drug. Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> and injects him with the bad AGD, I guess, the aggressive part of it, and uh, smashes the bottle in the process in the, in the cage and, and, and leaves the door open and, and off he goes, you know. Setting David up basically. Yep. Saying, Oh, you've got to go in there, mate. I'll take you over there in the Jeep. Um, I think there's an accident over there or something. Going up, yep. And he walks in the cage, he goes in the cage and he locks him in. And he won't listen to him. He's, you know, he's just uh, about the key and he says, It's just there on the table, mm. you know. No, no, and he's, he's off. At the door. But now, of course, this is when Elliot starts becoming aggressive. 
they're locked in there now yeah together and uh, um i want you to tell me the bit where you, you spot the stump man yeah. um uh i would say it was a bit where he hoisted the guy up on the what was it he was holding what was it Elliot was holding and then the hulk lifted up and across the room went the stunt guy um yeah franco sati i believe it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't it a a file cabinet no, I kept the file cabinet up. There was something else. They were, was, it a, was it a tree branch? They were, they were oh, yeah. Part yeah. of that, that, that climbing tree. Yeah. Yeah, and it flips him around, doesn't he? You know, against the, against the cage and that, you know, mm. a couple of times. Yep. And there go the green eyes. Uh, you know what? I, 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 this is one of the very few things I totally despise season one of the show for. I hate that overdubbed green glow on the face before and after the transformation. Thank God they get rid of that. It was like something like a swamp thing. It was kind of weird, yeah. I, I, in fact, I'd say, yeah, they, they, they did do away with it later on. Yeah. Yeah. For the, for yeah, the better. Well, yeah, maybe they were afraid it wasn't going to look scary enough, so they were trying to make sure that yeah, but you, didn't, you didn't see the, you know, the obviously fake nose and stuff like that, you know, but... Hmm. They, they were trying to, you know, hide it a little bit, I think. So we get a battle of the beasts here. Yeah. And a, a bit of, a lot of throwing around and, he, and a lot of chest bumps, you know, he bumps into him and he knocks him flying and um, picks him up, I think, at one point, the Hulk does, and throws him. Yep, he does, yeah. Yeah, right over his head and that, so, you know. And, and, and each time, you know, eventually, you know, you, Elliot just comes, you know, he just retreats. He thinks, no, I don't think I'm going to... Well, that's back into the cage. Stop yep. this, I'm going back in for, for a rest, yeah. He's, he, he, he's beaten, basically. Yeah. And maybe the drug's wearing off, possibly, as well. But, that too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 but he knows he hasn't really... He, he's, up, he's up against it. Um, uh, um, and interestingly, as this is going on, um, and the Hulk's still sort of growling in that, um, in walks um claudia yeah and actually sees the hulk there and goes what the hell is that happening you know and um and the hulk you know he busts out and gets away um, yep big hole in the wall i think or something I've got, the, the one thing i did notice about this episode though this was a really long stint as the hulk after a a period of exertion i mean you had the, the, the fight scenes with elliot then he was roaming about the zoo, knocking peanuts off little girls, and it seemed to take forever the first Hulk out to uh, finally get to the scene where he ends up back in the tiger den to metamorphosize back into, into David. That's true. It was quite a while, yeah. It did seem that way. Uh, um, sometimes you've got that. It depends on the story form, I guess. I guess how much they have to tell, yeah. or how little, or what they needed to fill in. Or sometimes you would get along. Uh, Hulk section. Other times he would literally be on the screen for a minute or two, and that's it. Yeah. I, I, I get why it was used here. They had to invoke panic at the zoo. They had to demonstrate that all the security guards and the cops were looking for, um, looking for him at the time to, to get to later on in the story when they um, end up in the warehouse with Malone and, and Carl and all that. I get that, but it was just kind of just seemed a bit weird to me. But hey, it made sense in the end. Two things I, that was, you know, that echoed back from, I think, to the, well, one, one that, one that went echoed back to the pilot mm. film was, and, it, and it's happened more than once, it was the encounter with the little girl. It was very much Frankenstein esque. Yeah. Um, we had that in the pilot where he sees the girl at the lake 
we got it again here with the girl that you know feeding the elephants. I think. Um, yep. Dumbo, have a peanut. And we've had it a few times since as well. It's a couple of encounters like that with worried parents screaming and running up, taking the child away. You know. Mm. In this case, the woman going completely frantic and saying, screaming, and 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 the girl being completely calm and happy and saying bye bye to him. See you later. Yeah. He wasn't one bit phased, but the the, the parent was having kittens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The kid was perfectly fine. Also, the yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, sorry, there. It, it was interesting how they were doing a little ode to Frankenstein, but then I said, "Oh, the Hulk isn't uh, peeling off the peanuts. He's just shoving it in his mouth." There you go. You know, so like, what? His teeth doesn't care about the shell. So what? His his jaw is uh, nine hundred pounds of pressure. It's gonna... It must yeah. be. It must be. Yeah. Think <laughs> how big and strong he is. I guess his teeth are strong as well. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Fight through steel. Yeah, because yeah, because <clears throat> yeah, mo most humans don't have that kind of power unless they exercise. They don't have that kind of jawbone power. I think at most you can get maybe, you know, like a regular punch, three hundred, and then if you train, you could do maybe you know four hundred. There you go. You know, pounds of pressure, but. The Hulk was kind of a jawbone, and the jawbone in his face was kind of meant to be like sort of like Neanderthal, wasn't it? He was like the primitive human. That's what the doctor had said, also. You know, was, the, yeah. the the one played by Carolyn McCormack or whatever her name was. She McWilliams. She was. Um, she said that. Uh, she said that that he 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 had. Uh, Neanderthal or or chroma no Neanderthal characteristics. So, the 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 joke of it is, Hulk will eat the pizza box as well. Just just leave everything there. He'll he'll eat yes, the car, sir. the bag, the it's, pizza box. It's all protein. It's all protein. I've got to say, why is it with things that are green and eat pizza? I mean, green pizza? No, no, thanks, mate. No, 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 no. no. Well, what is it? We, 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 humanoid reptiles that are green that eat pizza. It just seems to be a trope. Oh, I see what you're going. <laughs> oh, the uh, the, yeah, the yeah. Ninja Turtles, eh? Yeah, yeah, turtle yeah. power here. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah, they yeah. had yeah, the, the, uh, the jalapenos. That does it. Yeah. Yeah. They had, go, they, yeah. yeah. They had the joke. Uh, we were watching Animaniacs. And the narrator was starting to talk about, you know, the artist Leonardo and all that. And all of a sudden, on the right of the screen, you start seeing the turtles. You know, the, the, you know, it's the Ninja Turtles. And the narrator kind of rolls his eyes and goes, "Pop culture ruins everything." You know? Yeah, well, that's mere money for Rob Paulson. Anyway, back to the episode. Yeah, back to the Hulk. <laughs> Oh, anyway, yeah, back to the green flame yeah, machine. Oh, yeah. Incidentally, another thing I want to point out here because it was actually art mirroring life here, didn't it? The section where you see the tour bus going through the, yes. the thing and the Hulk standing there growling at them and they nearly crashed. That was, just, that, that, was actually, that was actually one of the tour, Universal tour buses that when they used to take people tourists down the Universal. Yeah, tour. but uh, that scene, I enjoyed that scene, but I also found it stupid as well. It's like, Wah! and then they're just going, and next minute the wee tour bus goes running and you have this stupidest looking wee crash bump. <laughs> like, they go into a little, like, a little dip, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, oh. yeah, basically, that's what that was. You know, it was like part of the Universal Tour uh, yeah. know, that they did. I don't, I don't, I don't think they do it anymore. But that back then, it was usually popular. You know, and, uh, uh, and uh, that's when they used to have the Jaws 
shark coming out of the water there and all that. Do you remember all those things? 78? Uh, 78, yeah. I mean, it was 75 movies. I remember they might have had that up by then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so that was that was a hugely popular thing. So they kind of been put it into the story, you know. Well, the jaws um, sharp better than some of the effects on this thing today, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, so, I mean, of course, you know, now they have the Hulk movies, but the Hulk looks more like a cartoon, you know, character. But unfortunately, while Lou Ferrigno was very built, he wasn't, you know, eight, nine feet tall like he was in the oh, comic no, books he, where he's jumping uh, around and all that, you know. Lou Ferrigno, by my standards, is actually a midget compared to most folk. I think Lou was only about six, four, five, I think. I don't, I don't think he was even that. No, I, know he was, was, I know he was taller than Schwarzenegger. Um, that, yes. That is a, that yeah, is a yeah, little fact because they were up for the casting at the same time with the Hulk, you know. Yeah. And Schwarzenegger was shorter. Than, I don't know how much shorter. Not much, maybe, but no, not much. certainly shorter than Lou. You know, come Lou. on, you can do it. Yeah, but I mean, he's supposed to be like uh, you know in the series. They they often refer to him as like a seven tall, seven foot tall creature or something. So supposed to be at least seven foot tall. You know. Um, well, like like we just said, you know, that's probably why they tried to do that greenish, you know, tint or whatever on the on the face because unfortunately. They knew that if you were a fan of the Hulk, you were comparing it to the comics, but they didn't have the you know the budget to do like when the Hulk did like the the flying jumps. He in the TV show he did do jumps, but they weren't flying jumps most of the time because they didn't have the the you know the budget to have like you know six cameras and CGI and you know all that like they do now. Look on the bright side. Yeah, but it, but it still was very good. On the bright side, we didn't get an episode like Lee Majors go with Andre the Giant as the the abominable, whatever the hell it was, you know? I mean, yeah. Was it Bigfoot? Bigfoot? That actually was really good. And he only, sadly, he only did the one because they brought, they brought that back um, again with the Bionic Woman. Yeah. Um, but they, interesting, and here's another parallel to the Hulk, the new guy playing Bigfoot was none other than Ted Cassidy. There you uh, go. The guy right. that does the intro to the Hulk in like on every episode, you know, Doctor David Banner. Mm. And, and did the Hulk Growls as well, you know. Well, you yeah, you because... to... Sorry, Graham, go ahead. No, I was about to say, do you think at the end of the night, at the end of the recordings, they went to the bar with the Sundance kid? <laughs> yeah, Butch yeah, Cassidy, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Doctor Malone has suspended Doctor Baxter. What a bastard. Yes. Because uh, he, 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 well, because she knows too much, probably, but... Um, he wants his um, money. And yeah. wants her out of the way until after the hearings, which she won't let her be privy to. So mm. they're all up to start, you know. Uh, um, David tells Cla Claudia to do blood tests on Elliot. Because um, he, he does? Uh, yeah. So it, 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 and tells her he's been, he, he was injected with that stuff and attacked him, you know. And he bets the, sh the results will show up positive if they do a test. Um, and uh, here comes McGee. Oh yeah, for oh, his yeah. cameo at the end of every episode, yeah. Come to question Claudia, yeah, and uh, she, first of all, she's very reluctant to go out there and, and up front. But David persuades her to, you've got to make a start somewhere. You've got, to, you know, you've got, to, you've got to do this, and so she goes out. And it's interesting that McGee, you know how pushy he is, hears like a growl from behind the door, and so busts in thinking it's the Hulk, and it's Elliot. <laughs> Easy mistake to make there, McGee. Um, you know, but 
no, like I said, you know, uh, it does sort of remind me of the fact that, uh, you know, and again, the, the technology has changed and then you had different, you know, directors and all that. Um, I must say, though, just a quick observation. Would this one fought today with the whole WWF people with the whole insinuation of cruelty animals? Um, yeah. It was certainly to do. It's certainly to do with like. It was certainly to do with illegal um, uh, smuggling. Yeah, smuggling of animals, which of course is you know is still a thing. Well, that's it? not illegal. Illegal to this day. What, what I meant was the, the inference that you know animals were being basically killed to smuggle gems. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's the horrific thing about that. What David discovers is that they being was highly or highly suggesting, and I think it was. I, I guess to flip the question, would you get away with an episode like that today? No. Also, no, you get away, and with the technology we've got now, we, you wouldn't even get away with being able to put, put no, 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 in, I, I in an animal's stomach or a human stomach. You did it in a CGI animal, but you still wouldn't get away with it based on the inference. So it's like, yeah. you know. I mean, well, no, now I, with, 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 I don't think it would even get, it would, they wouldn't be able to do what they could do then, you know, smuggling. Yeah. Um, it's well, much hotter now. Yeah. Technology's better for X-ray. You know, I, don't, yeah. I doubt that could ever happen now, really. Mm. But I mean, that was happening with humans back then as well. I mean, they were, humans were ingesting cocaine. Okay, they're still doing that the day though. Yeah, I mean, that is really dangerous because if they, if they burst in your stomach, you're dead, man. Yeah. No, Graham, the, the terms of the legal, they changed that and they had to change the, the, and the, you know, the acronym because it was too similar. Yeah. Ah, now that's where they're coming from. They're coming from South Africa. And then I Carl always gun. Yeah. And he's and he steps saying, Ah, now you know too much, don't you? You know. Come with us. Come with me into the warehouse. Come with me if you want to live for at least half an hour. Yeah. Yeah, um, he was trying to kill him. Well, trying to kill kill David. He said for at least half an hour, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then they go in the thing and they, they get tied to like well, David gets tied to like a sort of a post. And and Malone really, deep down, I don't think is that villainous. He really has been like put into this situation, hasn't he's he? Conflicted, though, he's conflicted, though. Yeah, very conflicted. Yeah, I, you can see he's going. God, you can't. That's you can't. I can't kill someone. You know. I just want my money. Yeah. You yeah. Inject him with some of that stuff. If, if half of that did, did did something to Elliot, just think what it's going to do to him. You know. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks, mate. Yeah. You know, and um, leaves leaves that uh, takes Claudia away, sort of struggling with her. Yeah. And leaves the lion. Yeah, you know. yeah, to feed into the lot. Um, yeah, we, we 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 probably should touch upon the uh, the the um, the shall we say? I guess the the go to guy, the the African gentleman who was providing the funds. I mean, he just sort of went in and out of their story before even. I don't even think he had a name, did he? Not that I remember. I think he was only yeah. only in that one scene when they were like talking together. Yeah. yeah, the scene where they were observing the zebra. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the scene in the warehouse. Yeah. Um, so so he, he was funding it. He, he was the, yeah, he, 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 he was the benefactor, basically. Yeah. 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 God. Yeah, so it was very, you know, stuff, nasty stuff was happening there. And Malone now is, of course, like, you know, uh, approaching David with the, with the uh, lethal dose. And yeah, a wonderful line here from Green Gore. Yeah, yeah, but a wonderful line from Bill just before he's changing. He goes, "For God's sake, don't do it!" Mm. <laughs> and then the eyes are going, "Yeah." And he busts out and inadvertently like knocks Malone out by by accident. 
Mm -hmm. um, the, run, break the needle. So. Yeah, the thing goes pop, yeah, the, the uh, ropes. And it, yeah, yeah. it knocks him backwards. So anyway, he goes off to find um, Claudia. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And would you like to take, anyone want to take this one up? Well, it's uh, basically a race against time. Uh, get to the car before she becomes a lion child. And, uh, you know, um, the, the one thing I didn't quite get, when when Carl dragged her out to the lions then, and, and basically, wait her out, did he drug her? Because she, she seemed to lie there, basically, and their eyes were kind of glazed while the Hulk was infiltrated. How did he hit her on the head? Oh, did he hit her on the head? Because I, I remember she was on about a foot, so I wasn't sure, you know. Um, yeah, she seemed a bit dazed, didn't she? A little bit out of it. And yeah, I was wondering that myself, actually. Maybe, maybe he did sort of clock her one on the head or something. Yeah. As he dragged her out, you know, just to kind because of keep her quiet. Because, because she was struggling and writhing, I guess she just wanted to keep her quiet, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, the, I mean, just to think, just think for a second, the thought that he was going to throw her into a lion's den mm. is pretty crackers. Well, to be fair, that was a solid plan. That lion hadn't been fed by the circus for years, I mean. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the Hulk comes to the rescue. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. There he is. All solid. Uh, the green man's coming. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, he, he, he uh, um, and sorts out, uh, um, you know, the, um, uh, Carl. Throws him into the, uh, what is it, a, little, uh, um, a monster. At first I thought that was an, a, a crocodile's lake or something, but it wasn't. It was just a... I was like, oh. Do you imagine that happened by mistake? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's one oh, oh, mate. Yeah, talk about bad luck. <laughs> yeah. That would have been the ultimate irony. Yeah. That would have been, yeah. He's yeah. trying to feed out to the line, so he by alligators. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so that's um. But anyway, you know, he, he cooled him off a bit, didn't it? You know, and um, and he he, he uh, um, the Hulk very tenderly lifts Claudia up and places her on the jeep. Yeah, and, and runs a mile when the cops arrive. The cops come. That's always his alert to get out of there. Yeah, he doesn't like the cops. No. Um. Yeah, he don't. He, he he um doesn't get on very well with them. Yeah, or rather, they don't with him. You know. But anyway, that was kind of it, and... Um, well, apart from the fact that Claudia's now the, the, the chief operator of the, the zoo, she's got Malone's office and job, apparently, by the end of this. She has. So every cloud, as they say, yeah. Yes. And and they're very have... proud of her. Oh, she's got, oh, she, oh, she did get injured, didn't she? She's got, like, a... Yeah, she's she she done yeah. again. And he signed, yeah. signed her cast and uh, left a little, shall we say, antidote for her, the next part of her experiment. Yeah, he said, don't forget to check something or other, yeah. He, he said, don't forget yeah. to check the gamma, when you gamma radiate this certain one, don't forget to check that one. There you go. And he was, he was um, and he, the interesting thing is that David left her with his entire research. He didn't take his research with him. Well, she already had it. He left it, right. it with her. She already had his research before he arrived. Right, right. But he didn't steal it or no. or make up with it well, or try to erase yeah, it or burn it in front of her or something. Yeah, and I, and, and he never, just left her, left her with all of his research. 
And, and never, has he done never with once, a few of the others is yeah, through never, the series? Never once did he reveal that he, he was Banner to her either. No. Sometimes, yeah. he, sometimes he does when he's under pressure like that, all found out a bit. But he didn't in this case. He kept his cool, you know? Well, this was still early days, so... Yeah. But for, for, for an early in the run episode, wasn't it bad? Going back. It was all good, apart from the poor, poor old Elliot, which is not realised very yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, it kind of took you at the moment, you know, especially when they were batting the tyre back and forth in the cage, I'm going, oh, God. But I mean, what can you do when you, when you, when you just haven't got the budget that can, like, no, properly... Right, it's so difficult, isn't it? When you're trying to do an animal or whatever, it's never going to be that convincing, is it, you know? No, no. no. Well, you don't really want to use a real... Uh orangutan or gorilla you just want to trust her you're gonna learn that certain right you You couldn't that that, i mean that's a very close environment as well you know sure Um, and a a jungle like forest certain perhaps when it would be a limited crew but knowing a a studio or a a backwalk or something like that you know sure but all in all, I mean, sort of take as you said it does take you a little bit out of the out of it sometimes with with Mm. with the ape but yeah. But the, the the story premise was good about the, you know, the smuggling, the mm-hmm. all this stuff going on. It was like addressing like real things that were happening, or, you know. Yeah, there was two or three pop point uh, subplots and within the one episode, so you couldn't really grumble. Yeah. So all in all, guys, what what bits did you you know just give us a summarization summarization of Beast Within? Um, I like I love uh, Carolyn McWilliams's character, and I love. I love her as an actress. She is, she kind of like, you know, super shines on on the screen. She she steals the 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 screen. It's fun. It's fun watching that. I I loved watching Soap with her in it. We were watching because Catherine Hellman passed away, and um, then we saw Carolyn McWilliams. As as the paramour of of the the Campbell men. So anyway, that was fun. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I did enjoy this. You know, talking about Bruce Banner, where he doesn't admit that he's Bruce Banner, and uh, I guess the villains were good, considering that they weren't given a lot of screen time. Uh, so it was sort of interesting. I guess they had sort of an interesting. Uh, cast i didn't enjoy the the hulk eating peanuts without taking off the shell uh but no it's it's not something that i would say oh you know i have to watch that episode again but like i said it was it was somewhat enjoyable uh but i you know i'm not a huge animal fan so it's not a huge uh well, for me. you know it was an interesting uh idea and had some interesting uh lines you know, and it was kind of interesting seeing, you know, David when he was changing back, trying to crawl around and, and you know, get out of the cages and such. So. Yeah, because Mama wasn't that far away, was she? Mama Tiger. Oh, yeah. Only across the, she only seemed to be across the little pond there. So she could easily have leapt over and got, got that. I mean, he was actually in that. What's interesting about that, that wasn't the stuntman. That was Bill Bixby in that enclosure with that, with the adult over there, it, uh, that didn't look like split screen to me. Well, to be fair, they probably had some ringers holding the main, the main, the main tiger back the other, the, behind the camera, you know. So, well, like I said, that that was also, you know, that's one of the reasons why I like watching stuff pre nineteen nineties is because they didn't have CGI with everything. 
So, you know, it did sort of give your, your mind a little bit of a, a game to figure out, you know, is that real? Is that a camera trick? No, but with regards to your previous question, Frank, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Uh, for 15 minutes, I, I, I enjoyed this. Um, okay, we've discussed aspects here, one that's out with the best, but the premise was good, as you mentioned. Uh, Claudia was great. Bill and Lou were on point as ever. You know, there's very rarely an episode where I go, oh, I was kind of disappointed with one or the other there. Um, they always seem me. Yeah, bang up job. Carl, for me, was a bit of a, I don't know, he seemed to be like the, the, the Bluto type character at a Popeye, where he just seemed to be the lumbering muscle there when he, other than the fact that he was driven by greed for money, he, he wasn't really a purpose to him, except he was the muscle for the, the South African benefactor guy, so. But, and somebody had to, you know, get the diamonds out of the animals. Oh, there's a thought. I'm didn't they want to have it. I'm just about to go and have my tea. That's true. Oh yeah. Are yeah. oh, you just going to have a turret's tea cake? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. You're all right. I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll put on the white gloves and quick happy thoughts. <laughs> we do not, we do not endorse the bad treatment of animals. Uh, hell no, no. We don't want Peter or the WWF getting on our case. So no, you're all right. We're, we're, yeah. You have, you know, having an upset stomach, you might go green. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all in all, I thought it was rather good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Me too. Uh, and I hope you all enjoyed this, uh, guys listening. Um, please stick around in a moment for my interview with none other than one of the writers of this, Karen Harris. The other. Karen the other, of course, is Jill Sherman, but um, Jill Sherman now is retired and she's enjoying her, her life as a, you know, privately, so I couldn't get Jill, Jill to join us, but it's great to have one of them, you know? Yeah. Um, at the very least, it's good to hear that both are still with us. Yeah, both with us, yeah. very much so, and enjoying themselves and stuff. And thank you, of course, for joining me, my friends here. Thank you, Graham. That was a pleasure, mate. Thank you, Sue. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you, Alex. As always, great fun. We were discussing the um, season one story called The Beast Within on this particular recording. Um, so I'm delighted to have one of the writers of that story. Generally, you would see, you know, uh, um, this lady's name along with uh, um, another lady's name, who was Jill Sherman. Um, and that, that they were a mainstay of the series throughout. Um, and I'm really, really delighted that I've got, uh, I've got, I get to speak to one of them here. So please welcome uh, Karen Harris to the show. How are you, Karen? Oh, I'm very well. It's, I'm very well. A little, uh, like, uh, a little bit, uh, we're having spring in Los Angeles. So oh, the, uh, the flowers are blooming. And after all that, that wonderful rain we had to end our drought, suddenly the flowers have gone mad. Uh, we had a, an influx of butterflies from the uh, California-Mexico border. They usually, they, calipiters ate well this spring, and uh, they usually fly north, but they flew over California and saw just a plethora of beauty down here, and they've been hanging around. So everywhere you look, there's bunches of butterflies flying around. Oh, that's really, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, I've, got, I've got quite a lot to cover with you, uh, uh, Karen, because we had a little pre-talk on the here about certain things I need to sort of, I need to get answers to. I need to okay. get, get you to clarify a few things because I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Uh, so, um, but first of all, 
um, I'm a Brit, and indeed you are, or were. I am. Because uh, uh, you were born in Oxfordshire in England. I was born in Oxford. Oxford. It's, yeah. my, my, my mother and her all of her siblings, my mother was the youngest of 10, born in, she was born in London. Actually, she was born at the, I think in Brighton, but, um, but her grandma was there on vacation, on holiday. But my mother was the youngest of 10, so I have tons of cousins in, all of the aunties and uncles are gone now, but tons of cousins in London. And during the war, all of the sisters and their spouses and the, the brothers and their spouses moved to Oxford to get away from the bombing. And my folks stayed there. And uh, and eventually I came into the picture and then we came to America in a year. I'm not going to name because it will identify my age. And that's important. <laughs> but, but it was quite, quite a long time ago. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I was two when I came over. But yeah, it was a. Uh, it was uh, it was Oxford. I don't have too much of a memory of it, but I, I've been back and it's lovely. And I kept my my British citizenship for a long time because I work on um, Canadian shows in Australia, New Zealand, and all these things that share uh, the UK passports that are recognized. So, and I got to do over the last two decades a number of EU shows as well. And I also have my US passport and and. Uh, this is where I am. Although these days I'm thinking about moving because it's <laughs> not it's not fun to be here, but it's hardly fun to be anywhere, including. Oh Brexit. God! Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Brexit. even even over here, Karen. Uh, to be honest, you know, without getting political here, it's not that much fun here either. <laughs> well, I, I was there last month. The nice thing for me when I go to London, though, because I go for usually go for three or four weeks at a time. Um, uh, last time I was there for, I think, 10 days on my way back from, oh, I went to London and then I, I was in London to see some theater. My, my, uh, one of my cousins is a costume designer and he did the new Fiddler on the Roof at the, uh, Chocolate, Chocolate Factory. Oh, brilliant. That Sir Trevor Nunn directed and it's, it's transferring to, to the West End, which is exciting. But, um, anyway, it was, it was, it's, uh, I could feel some of the tension, but when I'm there, I feel like it's, doesn't have much to do with me. So I get to enjoy myself. Yeah. We'll see this sorts itself out and I'll be back again soon. So. You, um, and indeed, uh, Jill Sherman, um, are kind of synonymous with the Hulk in many ways, you know, because often you, you switch on, uh, you know, watch an episode and up with pop, um, Written by Karen Harris and Jill Sherman, or, or Jill, or Jill Sherman and Karen Harris, we would alternate. Yeah, or <laughs> produced by uh, the, the said the said two ladies. Right. So it, it was you were very prominent in you know in the in the throughout the run. You know your your presence was felt. We were um, consistent in our presence. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Karen, please explain one big question I have. Um, it says that you 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 shared twelve episodes, um, co-writing right. credits, writing credits or co-writing credits. How? Uh, who did what? I mean, well, uh, uh, because it's, it it always just says written by you you know both of you, but as as to the input, um, who was it? Very you know pretty much level equal ground or. Um, where you, where one of you just uh, sort of ideas, and then the other, then either you or Karen, uh, or uh, uh, Jill would, you know, finish the script. Well, here's what. Here, let, uh, I, and I, if I may, I'll give you an overview of of how we 
uh, what our part was in the sh uh, uh, on the show on the series, and then I can explain how this happened. In in um, we were we teamed up. We were a writing team. We'd known each other since junior high school, which is the ninth grade, which was we were thirteen, oh. and. I was, uh, Jill was writing for a magazine and I was in television production and I was doing publicity for record companies and rock and roll. And um, we were both, you know, sort of on the, on the, in different versions of entertainment. Um, she was, uh, she was uh, uh, reviewing movies for the, um, for a Palm Springs television station. Palm Springs is the fancy desert outside of LA. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, and she came to me at one point and said, um, "Look, some you know, I was I was freelancing as a production assistant and associate producer, and I worked at our public television station and that sort of thing, sort of on the periphery and feeling our way. We were in our early twenties, mid twenties at this point. Um, and uh, and she said, I have a lot of ideas, and you know structure because you type scripts for a living. Because in between gigs, I would take I would in between production jobs." I would take, you know, make $5 an hour writing, uh, uh, typing scripts for writers before computers. So, yes, that's how old it is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I did, I had learned structure and I had had some mentorship from a couple of well-known writers, a uh, Canadian writer who was nominated for an Oscar and some other people and I gotten some support. I never thought, I thought you were, you were born knowing you're a writer and I, that wasn't the case for me. I didn't believe that I was meant to be. I was a writer's assistant. I worked with for producers as their right hand producer writers. In the states in television, um, writing and producing go hand in hand. Feature films are are director's medium, uh, where the director's in charge. And television producers stay for the the duration generally, unless they're you know they go on to something else. But they stay for the duration of the show. And directors come and go every week. You hire a different director for every show. So um, we, uh, so coming in as a team of writers meant. And and by the way, what Jill said to me at the time was, with your knowledge of of structure and my ideas, we could make one whole writer. So, so that's see, yeah, yeah. And we wrote several spec scripts so that we could present them to agencies and stuff. We had a few connections at studios, so that. Um, for example, at Universal, um, someone that I'm fairly close to, uh, who um, was an executive, who said, "I'll I'll get your material to agents for you, so that you can, because it's very difficult to get." And I really did have a, a leg up on that, which you know. But you have to use your connections. Like we both grew up in LA. We you know people. You go to school with people. You have family, you know, who goes into the industry. So you have to take advantage of that. It's not cheating. It's really being smart, you know, and using your connections, because as, as my connection said, I opened the door, but she pushed, she pushed through it and kept on going without any help from me. So uh, anyway, we, we had it after writing specs and going on meetings and finally getting a, um, getting a, an agent, a small boutique agency. Um, and, uh, and we got a call from Universal Studios saying that there was a, a pilot of a show, a new show, and the executive producer, Ken Johnson, who had worked on, uh, create, had created Bionic Woman and worked on Six Million Dollar Man and was a, a rising star at the studios, was doing very well. He loved working with young writers and he loved working with, um, with uh, um, women writers. But that you know, he he liked he liked opening the door for that. Yes, and, yes. 
know, without having it, I mean, without having an ulterior motive. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we went to a screening of this show and f funnily enough, and this is, I'll try not to make this last forever, but it might be entertaining. Uh, funnily enough, I'd been to a psychic pre previously and the psychic had said a lot of things that were quite accurate and um, and she had said, um, had she, she sort of identified that I had started writing. She said, I see that around you, whatever, however she identified with a typewriter or whatever. She said, and I see a TV screen pulsing green. And I said, oh, maybe that means I'm going to make a lot of money. You know, the green is money. <laughs> so when I saw the Hulk, when Jill and I went to the screening of the pilot of the Hulk with about probably 15 other writers had been called into the same screening to see it and then see what ideas we could come up with. And, um, and I saw the TV pulsing green and I said to Jill, oh, my God, maybe that's what that meant. <laughs> so I... Quite I mean, it was really quite lovely. It was wonderful. Um, the other thing is that was during the, the days uh, in the, it was in the late, uh, it's the, really the cusp of the 70s and the 80s. It was like 1979 slash 80. And she had, uh, and, and in those days, being a freelance writer was quite a good living. There were people who wrote, um, you know, would write for three or four different shows, an episode for a different show. And get reputations, and sometimes they get they'd get offered staff jobs, and sometimes they just went from show to show. Christy Brinkley's father, a guy named Don Brinkley, used to write a pilot a year, and he was perfectly happy. He made a very nice living writing a you know a, a pilot and getting paid and being under contract. And one year he sold the show, and he said, "My life has been ruined because I now have to work every day." <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, but we uh, so. Um, the, the free, so we were all there to pitch freelance episodes and most of the names you're going to see in the Hulk other than the opening in the first season and many, all of the seasons you'll start to see some repetition of names sometimes they were just people that um, that we would keep returning to to give scripts to and sometimes they were people that came on staff like Andrew Schneider um, uh, became uh, our, our story editor at one point. Anyway, that being said, so Jill and I went in, and this is the truth of it, and this might lead us right into, um, well, uh, we went in, we pitched, this is as simple as it was, the Hulk at a zoo, and Kenny said, I love it, come up with a story and bring it back to me. And so we walked away saying, that may have been our first sale, and saying, if we just get the story credit, we have we've you know we've done something huge here. Yeah. But we came up with the idea for um, for uh, the Beast Within, which we're going to talk about in a little while. I know specifically, and we um, and they came back to us for two or three more scripts that season. They had a story editor. They kept saying, you don't, we didn't have enough experience. Although I had, I had experience as a producer. I had associate produced and produced at our public television station and some variety shows, you know, minimally early, early, like entry level producing. Um, and, but, but by the second season, when the, when we, we got a call after the first, which was a half season, because we did, we did Beast Within and oh my goodness, I think we did. It wasn't Alice in Disco Land. I know we did a full rewrite on um, on Stop the Presses, but I can't remember if there was another one they gave. Oh, um, uh, the horse racing one. Rainbow's End. 
and those end. That was all in the first season. And out of that, we got Stop the Presses was second season. Out of those two shows, they were so happy with them that we got a call saying, will you come on staff and be story editors? So, and we can go into more of that um, down the line. But that's how, that's how we broke in. Our writing process was very much hand in hand um, for the first three years. We were a team. They paid us as a team. We were a team as producers, which is the next, the two levels up as writer producers is what we were. Um, and uh, and we'll, I'll tell you as we go along what, what those functions were. But um, but we did a very. I keep looking at your picture on my, on my Skype page, and your 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 expression hasn't changed. And I realize it's because you're not live. You're it's a still photo. <laughs> but I'm having a very nice conversation with you. You're an attentive listener, Frank. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 it's opening my eyes. You see, because we are not privy, you know, to to, to yeah, really what, what you both did as such. Yeah. We we see the credits. We think, oh, it was written by you two, you know, you and Jill, or produced well, what, by you and Jill, and and think, ah, it's just lovely, lovely that you were such a mainstay of it, and uh, well, you know, we we don't really think beyond what what actually was involved, you know. Yeah, and it gets gets juicier. Um, yeah, what, yeah. What the um what the actual process was was that we would split it up. Like I would take um the first half, and she would take the second half. And we had it well outlined. We always, you know, we, we broke the story together. We would take it in, pitch it to the team, the producing team, producing writing team, the, uh, the higher ups. And they would say, oh, how about this? Or did you think of that? Or, you know, you know, be cool. Is, and then somebody would come up with a line and we'd write it down. And then we'd go back and we'd break it up either into I do act one and act three and she do two and four or, or some variation on that. So we both had our hands in it and then we would we would trade our acts and i would go through hers and do changes and adjustments and you know so get ideas and she would do the same with mine and we compile it as one and then go through together and make sure that it was as, as well as we could seamless and then same thing when we get notes you know we'd sit together and do the notes we actually literally those were the days of cutting and pasting we'd sit on the floor with with scotch tape and and with cellophane tape and a scissors and cut stuff and paste it onto a new piece of paper that's where the cut and paste comes from in, ah, in right. yeah yeah uh that's what we would do and then um turn in a clean copy and they'd send it to mimeo and mimeo would you know whatever so that's how that's how we wrote except that in at at some point along the way we so season one we're story editors season two we're executive executive story editors uh which is giving us a bump and an acknowledgement of our participation because this is a where they, they'd rather not pay you they'd rather give you a title you know it's like <laughs> a little bit more because the writers guild has negotiated that for you and you get to be executive story editors. And then the next year when we proved ourselves as exec um, as executive story editors, Kenny Johnson, who did love to um, nurture young writers and uh, had us, um, we would alternate uh, scripts. We went together the first year, but we would alternate in the second year, not the writing of them, but sort of learning how to be producers. So I would say, all right, I'll take, uh, you know, Alice in Disco Land, and uh, uh, now that it's written and everybody likes it, and I will go out on the location scout and I'll do the director's meeting and I'll be in on casting and, you know, so, and then she would have the next one that we wrote together, which would sometimes would have her, her name at the top. 
Um, and she would um, say, you know, that she would go out on the cast, on the uh, location scout with the DP, the director of photography, the director, the head of transportation, the production designer, and the stunt coordinator. We'd all go out, you know, that's who was in that van going out all over the city of LA. Mm -hmm. So we alternate, and that's how we learned about produ producing, you know, uh, for, for a dramatic television show. And then we would spend our weekends in on that. I, so that would become sort of my show and that I was, I was, you know, babying it along through the production process. When the shooting was finished, we'd both go to dailies. We'd both have our comments. Uh, dailies was where you went to see yesterday's material that was shot. You'd see how it looked and, oh, we didn't get that angle or we need that angle and that sort of thing. And then we would go in post-production we would do the same thing, which is that I would take, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, the, um, Alice in Disco Land, and I would go sit with the editors on weekends and watch them edit the show. And I learned, I learned post that way. We would go to the, the, the scoring session where Joe Harnell would lead, you know, an orchestra in scoring the show. And then we would go to uh, color correction, all the elements of producing. And that's how we became producers on the show. Um, in the third year, it was us. It was, I think Andy Schneider was our executive story editor. He'd come in the year before under us. And Ruben Leader was our story editor and loved them both. Jill and I were progressing along nicely. And this is the behind the scenes studio politics, which I'm happy to let you in on. Um, they were getting us for the price of one person. A team gets paid as one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so we had two men work, young men working for us who were making twice as much as either of us. And by now we were truly producing and we had also become much, we realized we were each individually a very good writer uh, or certainly good for the show. So um, we took a stand. Jill actually, as always, was the brave one. I tend to be a little more of a people pleaser, but she was the one that said, this is, this won't stand. We need, they need to, they need to hire us separately. We need to be able to not, we weren't breaking up our partnership for, because we didn't like each other, or didn't get along. It was for the fair, either pay us double as a team or pay us in, as individual producer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's eventually, you know, it took literally her walking out the door and I'm not coming back. And then, I couldn't because of my connection at the studio had risen up and I couldn't put him in a compromising position by telling the studio to F off, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I had to, I had to play it a little more safe. And that's also my, my, at uh, that time in my life, I was a, a little more safe. That was more of my, uh, my style, but um, I was a team player. But we, but I was, I absolutely supported her in doing it, and supported the idea that the two of us would would now be able to be recognized and acknowledged for our individual worth as well as for our team worth. So, um, so that's happened in season three. So then you'll start seeing, um, you'll start seeing uh, uh, our names individually on scripts. We did do two scripts, and the reason we knew we could do it is because at the beginning of season three, and I, I can't remember all the dates and stuff, but there was. There was a show where that Brenda Benet was in, Bruce, uh, um, David, uh, Dave, um, Bill Bixby's ex-wife. It was Psychic. It was called Psychic. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And there was some, another one that I she wrote that on her own, but both our names were on it. I can't remember. It wasn't King of the Beach had just my name on it. That was my yeah. That was just so. That was your name only. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
But there was another one that I wrote that she and I still shared credit on. So we were now saying, let's we can write twice as many scripts because you can write on your own and I can write my on my own and we still get to put both our names. But ultimately, I don't know if it was ego or, or just a sense of uh, pride in our work that we wanted to have the separate credits for that work we actually did. But we were able to start writing. We were so in tune with each other. We were able to start writing separately and people couldn't really tell the difference between those, I don't think. Maybe they could, but um, between those scripts and the ones we the, the ones we wrote uh, by ourselves and the ones that we wrote as a team, but we wrote as a team definitely for the first I think would I would say the first at least two and a half years, and then there was three and four, and then um, I moved on to a different show at Universal, and uh, and Jill stayed on the Hulk. There was a sort of a, a, a turnover that she was um, mentored. She. She had someone else there. I can't remember who it was. Well, Nick Correa was her mentor there. And I had uh, Jim Hirsch. And also, um, but but Nick, uh, anyway, it was, it was, that's how we sort of evolved and then moved on. We're, by the way, we're having dinner next Sunday. I mean, we're very close still. We oh, see that's right. Yeah. All the time. We're still great friends. We went to our high school reunion a couple of uh, months ago in October. So we're still very, very close. There was never, there was, you know, of, over all those years, there's going to be like a three year period of like not speaking, but mostly it was, it was fine. It was just great. And we had it, we had a good time. He contributed much to my development as a writer. And I, I hope the same is true in reverse. And I, I stayed on, she met her husband, Robert Donner, on um, one of the episodes. Who she, the man she eventually married, Robert Donner, was an actor who was in quite a, quite well known for being in Mork and Mindy. Um, he was the um, the crazy preacher. He always played crazy preachers. <laughs> yeah. And he the show he was in, I think it was called Carnival. Was that the name of one of the oh, episodes? He, he, yeah, he did two. He did two actually. Um, uh, funny wrong. enough, I was, funny enough, I was just watching one of his yesterday. I was just going through episodes. Yeah, uh, it, it was called Sideshow. Sideshow, that's what it was. Not and cool. then he did one called The Phenom about yeah. the baseball player. Yeah. Right. And that was after I I had left at that point. That was the very at last of the of the series. And Jill was still on and they were married by then, which was great. Yeah. But yeah. He, the first time was the first time they ever met. They met on Sideshow and he played the crazy the crazy priest. The that's crazy right. priest. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and it was we didn't write that one, but we were but we would always we you know we were producers now so we got to be on the set and, and you know all that stuff so it was great fun but that was her husband he's i'm afraid he passed away uh, sadly um cross seven or eight nine oh god oh, i can't even remember when um it's quite a while um but she had um she had uh she worked quite a bit she did the the she hulk and I worked on a couple of the, the, the Hulk revival sort of things, but um, and a lot, and she did other stuff as well. We both had very nice careers, um, but she had, had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him. And so I think made that choice at one point that she'd rather, she'd rather be with him and, and, uh, and sort of back burner the writing stuff. It just becomes hard to pitch yourself and sustain a career. It really does, no matter how good you are. And Jill's excellent. Um, so is Jill still is is Jill back at writing, or is she is she kind of retired now? Or oh, she's she's retired and she's doing she's working on she. There's certain things you might have done. It was so funny, and this might be a nice segue. 
And I, it, it, that show, I have to give credit that Beast Within was so much of Jill's, um, Jill's uh, uh, personality and her priorities. She's a big animal advocate, big animal advocate, and works a lot with, uh, you know, making, you know, taking care of animals that need it. And, um, and she, uh, she also works at a, at a, at a soup kitchen giving food. She's working in on great charities to help people who didn't have what we had, which is wonderful. I, we both sort of have that, that, a, uh, commitment to paying it forward. So I, I work with, with uh, military veterans, teaching them to write it through the Writers Guild Foundation, which is one of my favorite things that I do. Um, but, uh, and, and, but I'm still continuing for some reason. I can't quite, I don't know if it's an ego thing. I can't quite let go of continuing to sort of break ground for me. So we can get into that later. But anyway, so that's so, but that might be a good segue into, I understand that you want to talk about the beast within. Yes. Then now this, of course, was your, your first time you both, you both um, had written for the show. It's the first time, by the way, that we had sold anything. This was our first sale in television. And I, I kid you not, I said it earlier, this came out of a pitch that was the Hulk at a zoo. Now, by the third season, we needed a lot more, a lot more descriptive and, and <laughs> outlined ideas. But in the early days, the Hulk at a zoo, the Hulk in a boxing ring, the Hulk at an airport, the Hulk, those were all sort of like, it was like a, a find an arena and then put David Banner in it and see what, uh, what comes out. Yeah. Uh, and, uh. I just looked up, right? I was just curious, actually, you know, because I'm a stickler for these these sort of trivia things. But uh, I looked up because I was wondering who played Elliot the gorilla, and uh, was it? And I have actually, I've got, I've got his name here. Hold on was a it Monty Cox? Uh, um, where is it now? It was a man called George Barrows. Oh, I don't know him. Yeah. But yeah, I looked at it. I mean, he may have been a very good actor, but the gorilla suit was terrible. <laughs> it looked like it was all Lee Bitten and and you know. Yeah, he looked a really, he looked really, really uh, chubby gorilla as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> big behind yeah. on it. Elliot <laughs> the gorilla. Well, one yeah. of the lessons we learned on this show was we remember writing in the script. I remember the first we'd written in the script. Her her lab has had a, a, a shelves full of colored glass bottles. You know, it's just something you write. And we walked down to the set, and there were shelves full of colored glass bottles. And we said, "Oh God, we got to be careful what we put on the page because they're going to take us literally." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looked like a perfume shop more than a lab. <laughs> you know, they have to say like, "Don't work with children and animals." And but you went a bit further and had an actor playing an animal. So you know. I mean, well, I'm not sure uh, which is worse, an animal or an actor playing an animal. Yeah, what's <laughs> yeah, worse? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that that was so that that was the yeah that was that was the guy that played the the the, uh, the gorilla. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> so I just I was just very curious about that, you know, because yeah. um, he he was uncredited, so he, you know his name wasn't oh. on the screen, so I had to look it up. So. Uh, gorilla as himself. Uh <laughs> I, I didn't check to see what else he did, but there was a little picture which I didn't sort of blow up to have a look at. I just was quickly look, looking, you know, That's on the so list. There. So yeah, I think he may have done other things, obviously. Um, probably stunt work mainly, I would think. Um, 
and so here we are, and and this one was directed by Kenneth Gilbert. Can you? What do you remember about um, Kenneth? Um, um, I remember he was a rather large, sort of hulking guy himself. Ken Gilbert. He was a sweet man. I don't remember much about him. I don't remember. He may have done a couple more episodes that first season. I don't remember. I. I I honestly don't. I mean, we were so excited to have our first show. We weren't on staff, so we really only got to visit the set a couple of times. So, and we weren't in meetings, so we didn't really get to know him. At this, because we were we were freelancing at this point. It was, you know, we were guests. Yes. Um, yeah. So that was that was basically, and we were more interested in meeting Bill Bixby and <laughs> seeing how things worked. Um, but I had been a huge, I had a huge crush on Bixby from the, when he was Courtship of Eddie's father. It was very exciting, so. Yeah. And anyway, so that's all I know about, about Ken Gilbert. I did notice, I think it was, yes, something I wouldn't have known at the time, but once I was on the series, I would have noticed this. Um, uh, there was a moment... There was a, a, a Bill stunt double for the entire run of the show, and one of his dearest friends was a man named Frank Orsati. Um, you probably he ended up directing a couple of episodes. He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, Frank was, uh, and Frank had the ability to. Uh, I mean, he was Bill, but slightly, somewhat buffed up, you know, muscular, and he was a he was a he was a, a, a stunt man. Um, he wasn't his his camera double; he was his stunt double. And he had the dark hair. They had the same haircut for years. Uh, and um, and I remember when I was watching it this weekend, I saw in, when he's in Elliot's cage, and it's an angle to the to the the back left side of the cage, and Bill disappears into a corner, and they don't cut. There's no cut in the film, but you see him disappear into the corner of the of the cage, and then he then he's comes out sideways i'm trying to i'm doing it actually while i'm sitting here but you can't see me he comes out sideways at his back his back was to us when he went in the corner and it's still to us and i went oh it's frank and then the second i saw him i knew that it was frank that frank had been hiding in the corner so they could do a single shot without breaking and, and cutting away to the stuntman where it would look like bill and he gets picked up and thrown and all this stuff it was really quite funny but he mm -hmm. had the ability to make it look like um he was he had a way of snapping his head when 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 uh david banner was being you know beaten or whatever that made it look like he was in a lot more you know that he was really being beaten up he was just he was a great stunt guy but it was really funny to see that they did this clever little thing where bill disappears for half a second and and then it's it's his his double that comes out so, <laughs> next time you watch it you'll notice it I will. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely look out for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, obviously, I only watched it quite recently, but yeah, I, 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 that that probably escaped me. That that little detail. Oh uh, yeah. You see things in a different light when they're pointed out to you, don't you? He never seen them the same again. Right. Oh, now we know that he was hiding there. You know. <laughs> um, so uh, yes. Um, so now this idea, of course, like, originally it was just pitched, as you said. Um, how about David Banner at, at the zoo? Yeah. Uh, so how did how did this sort of develop into what we finally saw? Um, it's the Hulk at the zoo, not David Banner. The Hulk at the zoo. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we loved the idea. We sort of had the idea coming in uh, um, that 
there's a cre- what we if we pitched the Hulk at the zoo, but we also then said, look, here's what here's what we're thinking is that David has this beast within him that he can't control. So what if they're what if we're talking about uh, animals who have no control of their uh, uh, of their anger, you know that they that and and that was the foundation of it. And um, the gorilla made the most sense because that would be the mo- the biggest challenge to the Hulk. David would have Dave, at that point it was very clear the first season that everywhere David wanted went it was to try to find a cure. So uh, he goes to the zoo because he's read about the. Um, about the work they're doing, the research that this woman is doing, Claudia. By the way, Claudia is Jill's middle name, so we. I love and I love that name. I've used. I've named a number of characters Claudia because it's such uh. a great. So, uh, but that's where. Uh, anyway, so she. Um, and 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 also again, as like I said, I was watching it and thinking, oh, that's so Jill, that's so Jill, and wondering where my part was in. It. But I was I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and we're putting it together, but uh, she did have good ideas, and I did know structure. Um, she, uh, uh, it was the idea that animals were being used and abused for money, and at the time, you know, we were. It was really just before it was nineteen eighty seventy nine eighty, so the fur coats were still being worn. Um, some of the awareness we have now it w- was not the animals were were there was no real concern from the general public about uh, you know uh, animals disappearing, you know animals uh, uh, breed, uh, breeds disappearing, and um, uh, species rather, and so the idea was that these animals were being shipped out of South Africa, and then dying from some strange. Uh, you know, they're valuable animals. They're dying from some strange flu, uh, um, virus. And um, and we come to discover that they have, have had diamonds sewn into their bellies or into their bodies, into their maybe their, their you know, their intestinal tract. Um, so that when they arrive, I, though how they did that without killing them, I don't think we ever thought about. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, they were able to. It's like because at that time people were being what they called mules. People were were swallowing large amounts of um, of uh, uh, drugs and stuff, and and coming you know across the border. Yeah. And so it was that sort of that concept, but using animals. And um, and uh, and this is a woman. We, we we thought it was, and where we got help, I think from. The staff from the from it was Jim Perriott then Nick Career wasn't part of it yet or Jim Hirsch it was Jim Perriott and Ken Johnson I still I saw Jim a few weeks ago I still see that we 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 became family and Nick Career's daughter is like a like a god niece to me she's so we're all very close um anyway she um uh, this is a woman who's on the verge of of uncovering um. The secrets and uh, that David needs, and and I love that moment. What I'd forgotten about when she says, "Have you read the collected uh, works of David Banner?" And he was like, "What?" Uh, so um, we love the idea. We love the idea of a little romance, which we got to do, but we had, you know, we put the brakes on it because we couldn't have him kissing a different girl every week. That just wasn't going to be the show. Uh, but <laughs> it, but he, but we loved, you know, that idea that she's someone that he would had. Could he stay? That would have developed into a relationship. Clearly, they had so much in common, um, and um, and uh, you know, and the bad guys were the bad guys. That's you know, they they it's they're sort of 
you try to give them a different motivation. You try to make them not totally uh, stereotypical. You know, I, I you know, and and uh, uh, Dabs Greer is a was a terrific old actor um, who'd been around forever, and you know, we sort of made him not really want to do it. He's doing it so that he can help the zoo, not to help, not to line his own pockets. He's doing it because he, they need more money. And he's doing it, um, uh, you know, so, uh, and he's, he's seen enough animals come and go that he probably is like not as, as worried about them. But, uh, um, so that was sort of the, that was the idea behind it, uh, as, as best as I can remember. And to give some really great Hulk out moments and, um, and to give Bixby a, a point of view, which was critical in everything you did. David always had to ha had to have a, a purpose and a, and a point of view. And the, the, the occasions when he didn't was intentional. You know, I, I remember reading a, a, a description of one of the shows online that said something like he's David, uh, you know, to lay, lay, wants to lay low for this episode, basically. So there are times where, you know, but but David, had, we needed it was early on. I think we were the, may have been the first aired show. Times Square might have been before us. Uh, uh, I think it was the boxing one was the first one. I think it opened up the season. Then you were the second. That was time. Good. The opening up the series was the pilot. The two, there were two. The pilot oh, yeah, they, yeah, they were kind of like shown like sort of like as a. Times Square and then. Two separate uh, things, weren't they? Yeah. And then the series was like the sh a shortened season, wasn't it? The first actual yeah, season was 10 it. episodes, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah 11. Or oh, it was twelve, including the pilot. Ten. If you include the, if you include the 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 two, the two uh, pilots, yeah, yeah. Sure Matheson and Salazie wrote. Uh, Dick and Richard and Tom wrote Times Square. If they wrote um, Air, Airplane, I can't remember which one they wrote, but they wrote one of those two. I, we 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 they did several others for us, and 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 we became quite close. And Tom's wife sang at my wedding, and. She came out to visit me when I was opening my play in Nashville last year. And I mean, we still see them. We still, we spend every Christmas decorating their tree. So it's like these relate, I'm telling you, relationships. This was our first network series and relationships were made that have endured, which is really lovely. So anyway, it's back very special when that happens, Karen, isn't it? Yeah. Because that doesn't happen in every, 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 every walk of life, you know. No. Yeah, well, you stay friends, so, you know, moved it. Moved yeah. It yeah. Sure did. And then you were really, you know, you you really had a long, such a long time with it. And it must have been pretty, for the most it part, must have been very pleasurable because you very, stuck, stuck very, with it for nearly nearly its entire, you know, exactly. year run. Jill you know. stayed through right through the end. I moved yeah. on. Another, I actually was moved over to Simon and Simon for a short period. Yeah, yeah. We were both under contract to Universal, so we would go to other unions. Jill went over to Magnum after after. Um, after the Hulk was over, I went to Simon and Simon, and then I went to another show. It was a little less action, a little more character oriented, which was great, good for me. I needed that uh, called I can't remember Shannon is what it was called, um, and it was it only lasted one season. And then it just you know we just started moving onward and upward from there, which was great. And I was I I did pilots for Aaron Spelling and movies of the week for Fox and. Uh, I worked on General Hospital, which is our it's our top soap opera here, uh, for almost 15 years. Um, when I left daytime and moved into because daytime, I mean, um, prime time started started to change, so it was less 
action adventure and more procedural, which I'm not, I don't care for. And a friend of mine was producing General Hospital and said, join me. So I did, and I loved it. I did it for 15 years, became a head writer at one point, did a, a, a spinoff show. And now I'm writing, I have a Broadway band musical so that I've written that I'm, I'm sort of out of television the last eight years, I think. Um, and I'm, are you getting the stamp? <laughs> What's the musical, by the way? What, 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 can you reveal what it is? Or? The musical is called Part of the Plan. Yes, we've already had our world premiere in Nashville, Tennessee in um, uh, September of 2017. And we're looking for our, uh, we have a, an offer to be in, uh, in on the East Coast. I don't want to name the name yet because the contract, if the offer is made, the contract's not signed, but it will be. And uh, I'm also talking to a West End theater about it I met with uh, when I was there. And um, it's, a, it's a, an original story using the music. There was a guy that you may remember from the 70s and 80s, a singer-songwriter named Dan Fogelberg. And he had several hit songs and was a beautiful, was a poet. He was part of the same group of, of, of musicians that formed the Eagles and Jackson Brown. And he was part of that whole group. And there's a couple of, you should look him up because there's a couple of his songs that you'll, that you'll recognize. I haven't looked him up because the name doesn't ring a bell at the moment, no. But we got the rights to, a, a woman came to me who, uh, and wanted me to write it with her. And, and we got the rights to Dan Fogelberg's music and created an original story, a very American story that follows uh, a young girl, 16 year old girl, wealthy, like a uh, young woman who gets pregnant by the Jewish waiter at her parents' country club. And her parents force her to give the baby up. She never tells the guy because he's going to go off and make his world as make, you know, make his life as a musician. And she doesn't want to hold him back. So she's forced to give the child up in 1950. And it follows her and the boy she gives up through the next three decades from the um, post-World War II boom times to the social and sexual um, revolution of the 60s into the political upheaval of the 70s. It's, it's quite a beautiful, heartfelt story, and we make grown men cry because it's about mothers and sons and brothers. Mm. And, um, and we're very proud of it, and hopefully it'll be, uh, it, we'll be moving into our next steps this year. So... That's what we've been working on now, and I'm just, I'm, I'm fine being away from TV for a while. It's changing a lot. I'm still very active in the Writers Guild of America. I used to be on the board, and I work, I said, like I said, with the veterans, and I taught episodic television at L, uh, Loyola Marymount University, LMU, for a while. And so it's, it, life is good. Life, and I get to travel. It's all good. So I want to thank you very much, Karen, for all your memories about the Beast Within and you know those early days, start, you know, working on the Hulk. It's been it's been great talking to you. I've enjoyed it. I feel like I should break into a few bars of the Lonely Man theme now as I walk away into the sunset. Yeah, do 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it, Frank. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen, and I hope you enjoyed it too, guys. And we'll be back with uh, with more from the Incredible Hulk podcast very soon. So until then, take care.